0: Good morning, everybody. Again, glad to be here this morning. You've been hearing several of us talk up here, if you're not in the Midwest, about the snow dump that we got, which didn't feel like much of a dump, if you are a Michigander. I was really hoping for that like 15 to 16 inches. And we got, I don't know, maybe a measly seven, eight, something like that. But I love it. I think it's beautiful. I love the snow. So of course I you know put on my snow pants and my boots went down to the park where I walk and I've, I've walked there several times a week for a few years now. Um, but even though I've done that for forever, I'm still kind of just struck by how there's like new ways of seeing that space, even though I know it really well, there were a ton of kids that were sledding and a bunch of Canadian geese, it was really cool. And as I was walking, it was yesterday or the day before, I was just kind of walking around and I was thinking about how That's a little bit like how relationships are too, isn't it? Like with partners, with friends, how like just different seasons of life can bring out these like different parts of people and you see them in a little different way than maybe you thought. It's like, oh, well, this is what my partner is like with kids, that's interesting, right? Or this is what my friend is like in a crisis or in retirement. And hopefully when that happens, that helps us like appreciate them in a different way that maybe we hadn't seen, although that's not always the case, I guess. Um, But I was kind of just thinking about this idea of different perspectives that we've been chewing on. And I think that similar thing can be said for stories, right? We know the Bible has well-worn stories. For some of us, they are very, very, very well-trod stories and yet, when we engage them from different perspectives that that can still help us get a new angle that can help us to cultivate empathy and maybe see things with even more complexity than maybe we had, had seen them with before. So the last time I preached, we looked at a story that appears in all four of the gospels. And it's a story where a woman washes Jesus's feet. And so we were focusing on the way that Matthew, Mark and John told that story, but the gospel of Luke comes at it a little bit differently and so this morning what i want to do is i want to pivot and i want to engage luke's angle and so i'm going to put a bunch of the text into the chat and i'll have to do it in pieces because it's it's a lot here but here's the first part so it says when one of the pharisees invited jesus to have dinner with him he went to the pharisee's house and reclined at the table And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. He said, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, said Jesus. We put part three in. It's a longer text this morning. Says, then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. So there, there's several things that we could unpack here. But to begin with, I want to I start with the very first line there. And I just want to note that the term Pharisee doesn't equal bad guy. right? Many of our, our Jewish friends view the Pharisees as as like the spiritual predecessors of modern Judaism. So when they hear Christians tell stories like this one without, you know, any context or texture where the Pharisee is set up as a a sort of like a one dimensional bad guy, that that's offensive and anti-Jewish, right? And that's not giving the story the complexity that it requires. And that term Pharisee actually covered a really wide array of beliefs. Right. So kind of like with Christianity now, there were many streams of Judaism in the first century. And we know from the book of Acts that there was a whole group of people that were actually from the party of the Pharisees who were followers of Jesus in Jerusalem. Right. And I I don't say that to say that, like the Pharisees who liked Jesus were the good Pharisees and anybody else wasn't. But to say that this was an umbrella term that was really tangled and overlapping and not straightforward. Right. So when Jesus is seen as like opposing individual Pharisees or groups of Pharisees, right? He's not like addressing all Pharisees or all Jewish people, but he's addressing very particular situations. Right. And what angers Jesus is this sort of harsh judgment and self-righteousness that can bubble up in people of any religion. So let's look again here at this first bit of Luke's telling. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Right? So the first thing that we see Jesus do in this story is go and recline at a table. I think, well, does this detail matter? I think it probably does. There was protocol in the Talmud for hosts. right? And there were like social norms for how you would be polite to guests. And it appears that Simon wasn't following those protocols. Right? It would have been reasonable for Jesus to expect to be greeted with a kiss on the cheek and presented with a bowl of water that he would wash his hands with and then his feet, some oil for his hair or his head and his face. And that's why Jesus later in the story, he mentions each one of those things was missing, right when he says to Simon, do you see this woman, I came to your house, you didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with their hair, you didn't give me a kiss you didn't put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on me, right? So these things were noticeably missing. And that begs the question, when Jesus walked into Simon's house, what was he met by? Right? If it wasn't the normal greeting, what did that feel like? Was it silence? Did people stare at him? Was it just some sort of awkward ignoring of his presence while other people were, you know, washing their feet and chatting together. It might be a little bit like if Rachel and I had a bunch of people over for dinner. And as they were coming in, we just pointedly didn't say hi to one of them didn't offer to take their coat didn't give them a drink, but we were doing that for everybody else. Right? So that's rude, and it's awkward, and it's noticeable. Right? So that may be what Jesus was experiencing. And so he goes over to the table and he reclines on the pillows, right? And there was a social norm for who got to sit at the table first and Jesus would not have been that person in that situation, right? So there's a little bit of this like, fine, be rude. That's fine, I'm gonna go be rude also to show you how rude you're being. So it's a weird situation and you just wonder how long did this awkwardness go on And the text doesn't really say, but it does seem like it was long enough for Mary to start weeping because she understood the insult. Right. So she then turns around and offers Jesus what Simon denied him. Right. Perfume instead of oil, tears, her hair instead of a towel, kissing his feet instead of the kiss on the cheek that men would give to one another. We know that feet in most Asian cultures, even today, are considered gross, taboo a bit, especially in an agrarian society where you're working in the fields and you share the the dirt roads with livestock. So like when I studied in Israel and then later in China and both of those places, I always kept several pairs of slippers by my door, right? Because it's custom when you come in to take off your outdoor shoes and then put on your indoor shoes. But here was this woman kissing Jesus's unwashed feet, right? That would have been seen as so disgusting. And it's like, she's just saying, I am so sorry that they are treating you like this and I don't care how filthy you are. To me, you are beautiful. Yeah, it's the kind of response that you might give your partner or a dear friend, right? The, the kind of thing you might do for your your kid if they've been out on their bike all day and they're dirty and they fell and they hurt themselves and they come in and they're sweaty and crying and it just it doesn't matter, right? Like you don't care how filthy they are because you care about them and you're going to like, you know, put a band-aid on them and clean them up a bit. And That's the sort of response we see Mary giving him. But Simon, the host, rebukes Jesus for accepting the woman's compassion and this hospitality she's showing him because she is a quote unquote sinner. So tradition holds that Mary of Bethany may have been a prostitute. Maybe, maybe not. Right. That seems to be the insinuation in the text. But I'm always a little skeptical because bold and unconventional women throughout history have often been labeled things like witches and harlots. Right. So I think there's a little bit of room to wonder. Some theologians have speculated that Mary and Martha could have even been queer, you know, called sisters or whatever. That's also possible. I think it would have been unusual for them not to be married. But with Mary, I think I have more questions than I have answers, you know, for who she was. Why was she at Simon's house that night? Why did she bring perfume for Jesus to that particular setting? Right? Did Jesus invite her? We don't know. I think most of the scenarios that I come up with when I let myself wonder about it, they make me like Mary of Bethany even more than I already do. There's just something kind of bold about her. But there was some reason, maybe many reasons, that she wasn't welcome in that space. And so Jesus rebukes Simon for his public judgment of her. And he does it by telling a story. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. Oh, sorry, I've got my note in there too, which was just like, huh, I wonder who those two people represent, right? Jesus starts telling this story, looking pretty pointedly at the two people in front of him, right? One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay back, so he forgave the debts of both. Skip on down through that. We've read it. The thing that I think is helpful to note with this story that Jesus tells to them is that the word for debtor and the word for sinner in Aramaic, which is the language that Jesus spoke is the same word, right? So Simon is like calling out Jesus for letting this sinner, Mary, wash his feet. And then Jesus through this story is then insinuating that Simon is also a sinner. He's a debtor. He's a sinner. Right. And everyone would have understood the money lender in this story to represent God. Right. So God forgives them both. And so Jesus is like, Simon, you are just like this woman in the eyes of God. You are no different. Right. There's no us in them. There's only us. And this self-righteousness you've got going on is not a good look. And so then Jesus asks him, he says, Simon, do you see this woman? Right. Which is the same thing we see actually in all four of the gospel stories. Jesus says, do you see this woman? Look at her. Right, she's a person, and she's making up for your inexcusable failures as a host. In fact, I think he's actually asking, "Who is the host here?" Right, I think that's one of the key stories that this this story actually evokes here. Who is the host? Whose generosity of spirit makes space for the presence of God? Right. So Simon pretends to be a generous host. Right, he's putting on a good show of it, but this so-called sinner may actually represent the welcome of God more accurately. Right? The, the person who is responding to the one who's being mistreated, the person who isn't disgusted by Jesus, who other people might think of as having as being filthy, of having dirty feet. You know, we usually think of a Jesus in this story as being the one that's responding to Mary that way. And he is, but she's also responding to him in the same way he's being mistreated he's filthy as he walks in and reclines. So they are both playing that role in the story for one another. I also think that the story asks us, are we actually able to tease out sinners from godly people? Right? And Jesus says more than once that we humans are not the best judge of this. And that that's why we need to leave the judgment to God because people are complicated, right? Our stories are complicated. And I had a, as I read it this time, I actually just this week had a little note, and this was just my own thought, was that Simon himself might be a very complicated character, right? He's called Simon the leper in Matthew and Mark, and we don't have any historical information for why that would be other than a straightforward assumption that Simon presumably was a leper at one time, and leper just sort of generically covers a lot of skin diseases in the Bible. Now, there's there's a minority of theologians that think, oh, that must have been a different Simon then. But I think the stories are similar enough um, that I think just a few of the details are changed or have been remembered a little bit differently. I think it's the same Simon. And so I wonder if it's fair to read this story as Jesus maybe being a little bit irritated that someone like Simon, who had probably felt what it was like to be considered unclean and unwelcome, could then turn around and be harsh to both Jesus and this woman judging them unworthy of proper welcome. And it made me think of how sometimes people who carry like layers of oppression can turn around and then be intolerant of people who experience oppression differently. Right. So as, as an example, I guess I was thinking through it as a queer woman I was thinking about how sometimes trans people get mistreated by fellow queer people. Or how people who are like in the middle of hierarchies can who who get mistreated sometimes from above can then turn around and mistreat those below them. Right in the in the corporate chain or I hear lots of stories here in southeast or in the Ann Arbor area, I should say, about the hospital and the academic hierarchies that exist. And so I think one possible interpretation of this story might include seeing Simon as someone who has experienced social and legal exclusion, who then is putting on a show of being like extra righteous, so that he's better accepted in his peer group. And I think we can all probably think of people like that. Sometimes that's almost seen as like a survival mechanism. And maybe we ourselves have been like that at times. You know, There's there's a saying, right, I won't say the actual word, but shite rolls downhill. Right. And when you're used to getting pooed on, sometimes you're happy to pass that on to the people that you perceive to be even further down the hill so that you're not at the bottom getting the worst of it. And so perhaps some of us who experience some layers of oppression in our lives, and that could be anything, it could be like even just being female or poor, or maybe you have health issues. Maybe we could read this story and see Jesus challenging us not to turn around and treat others the way that we hate being treated, just so that we feel like we're more um, accepted within a certain level of our society. I think that's a possible angle. And for me, that humanizes Simon a bit more, right? I can actually see parts of myself in that reading of him like that lets him be a complicated human as well. And so I've just got one one final thought. I think in all four of the tellings of this story in all of the gospels, I just want to note Jesus always allies himself with Mary, right? He always stands up for the person with the least amount of power in the room who's being brave and being vulnerable. And that the person who is responding with compassion to the mistreatment of other people and who has empathy, right? And so I think it helps us understand that just like the lean of God is toward the vulnerable, right? And toward people who have compassion and empathy. And so may we all be a little bit more like Mary. All right. So I, I actually preached a little bit longer than I usually do. And I thought, well, for the meditation, maybe we just spend a minute in some silence and you can either just take a moment to just relax and prepare yourself as we move into corporate prayer. Or if there's something that's that you've brought with you this morning that is just sort of weighing on your heart, if you just want to take a minute and spend this moment praying about that, we'll do that. So I'll just take maybe 30 seconds to a minute and some silence, and I'll let you know when that time is up. Spirit of love, we know that you are near us and with us, and we ask, God, that you would turn your face toward all of these things um, that we've lifted before you and be with us in our coming week as we go forward. Amen.